Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Today, our title is Jesus, Son of David. Not my son. Someone much more famous, referring to King David of the Old Testament. The Son of David. We are second Sunday in our series from the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew for the next year. And this is the first book of the New Testament. So if you're in your Bible, you would say the stories before Jesus are this much, and the stories after Jesus are this much. And we're looking at a few pages in the first book of the stories about Jesus, as Matthew recorded. Addison introduced last week that the genealogy, the family lineage in the first section, is broken into three parts where Matthew is dividing the generations up to Abraham, up to David, and up to the exile. And today we're looking at the second section of the genealogy, the section about the sons of David. From verse 1, Matthew introduces his good news about Jesus this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the record, the genealogy, the lineage. This is the generations about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's the son of David and the one who's the son of Abraham. We talked last week about Abraham's lineage, the promises that the Messiah would be for all nations, not just for the Israelites, but the promise would be for all nations. And today we're going to look at the significance of the title, Son of David, which comes up over and over throughout the book of Matthew. King David is actually mentioned 835 times before we get to Matthew. A famous king, and so many promises for us were wrapped up in these promises about the one who would come like David, the one who would come in his lineage. Let's continue on with the section of our genealogy today. We skip down to verses 6 to 11, the section we're looking at for David. Halfway through verse 6, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Oops, let's just stop right there. What a way to introduce our hero. 835 times he's so famous. All these promises about him are all over the Bible. We're looking forward to someday someone who is going to fulfill all of our hopes in David's sons is going to come. And he's going to be a king that's going to make everything perfect and everything right. And then Matthew starts out with this part of the genealogy reminding us we're talking about the guy who's an adulteress and a murderer. Right? We're talking about David, who committed adultery with Solomon's mother, and then murdered her husband to try to cover it up, and got caught. And the baby that they had together passed away, and they had other children afterwards. This is the David. And why do we emphasize this? For the same reason Matthew emphasized the four women that Fran has been presenting to us. Jesus is identifying with sinners. Jesus has come for our broken world. 
And the son of David is one who does not shy away from the reality of our broken world, but actually he comes as the hero to fix our broken world. And so right front and center, Jesus is introduced in this lineage as David, the guy that committed adultery and murder. Who was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife? Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exiles to Babylon. Now, these names are actually quite familiar to us. We read them in the book of Kings. We read them again in the book of Chronicles. And we read again most of these names through the minor prophets as they're giving prophecies during the reign of some of the names that we've just read. These are the names of people who were kings after David leading up to exile. In that lineage, there's actually three names left out because Matthew was trying to present 14 names in each section, and even that's a little bit of a discussion to have. And we should also say that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. It had more significance for the Jewish people who understood exactly what he was trying to say. Interesting today, as we were introducing visitors, David here talked about these generations that Chang is the 23rd generation, he's the 22nd generation, and so forth and so on. I know my family lineage back about two generations. Sorry, Mom. Good afternoon, Mother. She knows the lineage much farther back than I do, and she'll watch online later. But the genealogy for the Jews was of significance more so than maybe in our day and age today. And he's writing to a Jewish audience. David was their most famous king, the humble shepherd boy, the musician, the harp player, the one who had a simple trust in God, the one who with selfless courage did great exploits and brought great military victories. About a thousand years before Jesus was born, he's chosen to be the second king of Israel. And during his time, he establishes their nation as a very successful, influential nation in the region. He's a worshiper. He brought the Ark of God, the Tent of Meeting, to Jerusalem. And then he organized 24-7 worship and singing in the ark, around the ark, singing praises to God day and night. He wrote so many of the psalms that we have in the middle of our Bible, psalms where he is extremely vulnerable and he displays his hurt, his brokenness, his longings, his anger, his sense of injustice, and his trust that God will take care of it. David made some spectacular mistakes, which we've referred to already. But David was repentant. And God made an eternal covenant with him 
saying that he would have descendants on the throne forever. God called David a man after his own heart and continued to refer to him that way. When Matthew starts out his gospel saying that I'm presenting Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, instantly every Jewish listener would have their ears perk up and say, the son of David? Because they sing about the son of David. They talk about the son of David. They're waiting for the son of David, the one who would actually bring perfection, help, deliverance. Everyone knew that there had been a thousand years of prophecy about this person. So today, as we look at the son of David, we're going to look at three parts, the historical significance, the son who was recognized in Jesus' day, and our hope in the son of David. First of all, this historical significance. And by the way, today, I'm just going to put a lot of scriptures at you. Some of them will be on the screen, not all of them. But this title is all over the Bible. And the best way to capture the hope that Israel had is to actually read the, the words. Commentator Donald Hagner said, Son of David had become by the first century a title for the messianic deliverer who would assume the throne of David in accordance with the promises of 2 Samuel 7, 4-17, the Davidic covenant, thereby inaugurating a kingdom of perfection and righteousness that would last forever. Jesus is the promised son of David. This passage in 2 Samuel comes after David has brought the ark of God to Jerusalem so that they can worship God. And then he wants to build a palace, but instead God sends a prophet and says, actually, I don't need a palace, but I'm going to make you famous. And here's his promise to David. This was the beginning of the promise that went on and on and on as the prophets continued to come back to God's words. Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and as they have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies." What more could you ask for? That sense is as true today as it was then. So many times I have walked through the neighborhoods around here and felt so helpless about the brokenness of our city. What a promise. I will provide a place where my people, for my people, plant them so they can have a home of their own and not be disturbed. Can you imagine if all the people in our city had a home of their own where they were not disturbed, where they could live at peace? What a way that God presents shalom to his people. 
the next section he finishes with verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. And this promise keeps coming up in prophecy after prophecy. Psalms 132, one of the Psalms, verse 11, reminds the Israelites, The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on the throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statues I teach them, then their sons will sit on the throne forever and ever. Ah, here we have a problem. If your sons will keep the covenant, this list of kings that we read at the beginning of the genealogy, they were all part of the downward spiral until exile. There was a greatness with David, but a brokenness. There was magnificent wealth with Solomon, but he went after other gods. And then the list just continues with ups and downs of a kingdom where some kings tried to bring reform. Manasseh in the list here was horribly, horribly wicked. And yet he ends his life repenting and being forgiven. An amazing story of one of the most wicked kings who at the end repents. But this list of people are far from heroes. There were some bright spots in there. Asa was a bright spot. Hezekiah. Jehoshaphat. But each one had brokenness. And each one did not qualify to actually be the king that brings everlasting peace. Jeremiah chapter 33, one of the many prophecies, verse 15. God says, In those days, at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from Jesse's, from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which they will be called by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor the Levitical priest ever fail to have a man stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings of grain and to present sacrifices. Jeremiah promises there's coming a day, in spite of the fact that the sons did not keep the covenant, there's coming a day when the righteous branch, the Lord, our righteous Savior, will sprout out of this family line and he will be the one to always present a king and a priest before God. Ezekiel 34. After God has gone through a long list of the failings of the shepherds of Israel, and then God says, I'll be the shepherd. Ezekiel 34 I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God himself will be the shepherd of the flock. One servant, his servant David, will be over them. But King David has long passed away. This is the way that the prophets throughout the Old Testament continue to bring this up. The famous 
passage from Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Someday, this one will come, a child who's born, who will actually reign on David's throne. All of these promises and many, many more refer to the title, the son of David. When Matthew starts out the good news about Jesus, he wants the Israelites to know the fulfillment has come. Our long-awaited king is here. You know, I often desire a righteous king. Having elected officials sounds nice because we can have our way. But they're just people like us. We live in a type of democracy, they call it. And we elect people. And then we lobby people. And somebody else lobbies, and somebody else lobbies. And the person who's been elected tries to do the best with all of the different voices coming at them. But it's all ruling by relative morality. The talk of the day. When the righteous king comes, he's in charge. When the righteous king comes, he's just. He has the plumb line. He knows what's right and wrong. He's not listening to lobby groups from one side or the other. He's not listening to selfishness from here or the other place. He's bringing peace, shalom, a home for everyone to not be disturbed. An equal blessing for each person who's made in his image. The righteous king. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a king who's righteous? Not a king who's a tyrant, not a king who's unjust, but the righteous king, the Lord himself. Jesus is the Messiah, and Matthew is presenting to the children of Israel, he's come. The son of David is here. As we get into the book of Matthew, you're going to see this title come up again and again. Here's a few cases that you might recognize, and we'll see them later on this year. The son of David is recognized because as Jesus began to walk the streets and minister the good news, he was bringing deliverance. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was providing a feast for 5,000 people at a time. And the crowds would recognize that must be the son of David. And so we hear these words, and I'll just jump through a few verses in Matthew itself. Matthew 9. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David! Maybe you want to call out for mercy. Chapter 12. The crowd brought him a demon-possessed man. He was blind, and he couldn't speak. Jesus healed him. He could talk and see. And all the people were astonished. Could this could this be the son of David, they asked? Matthew 15. 
Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon. There's a Canaanite woman. She comes crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Lord, son of David, says the foreigner from Tyre and Sidon. Matthew 20. They're leaving Jericho. There's a large crowd following. Two blind men are sitting at the roadside. They hear that Jesus is walking by, and they begin to shout, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd tries to get them to be quiet, but they got louder and louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. When you know that the righteous king is here, who cares what the crowd thinks? Lord, you're the king, have mercy. You're the righteous one, come help us. Matthew 21, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he was healing them. The chief priest, the teachers of the law, they saw the wonderful things they did and they saw the children who were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant. Chapter 22, the Pharisees are gathered together and Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And the Pharisees say, he's the son of David. The title, son of David, meant the fulfillment of all these prophecies for the past thousand years. The waiting for we know one is coming in the family line of David, and he's going to be the deliverer, the Messiah, for us all. And they were waiting and waiting. The crowds knew it. The foreigners knew it. The blind and lame knew it, and the Pharisees knew it. Jesus is being presented as that one. So what's it got to do with us? Our hope. I'm not a Jew. I'm not an Israelite. But as we heard last week, the promise is for Abraham and all the nations will be blessed through him. When we read this genealogy of Matthew... We see in verse 17 that he has deliberately arranged. He says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exiled, and 14 the Babylon, I'm sorry, to the Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. He's deliberately said he's arranged it in a certain way of 14s. He's left out some names to make it work. The last section has. 13 names. He's followed the legal descent through Solomon, the second son of Bathsheba, who became king after David, Solomon. Matthew is utilizing the genealogy from 1 Chronicles as found in the Greek translation of 1 Chronicles in his day and age. He's using a different order than what we see in Luke. Luke, in chapter 3, has a genealogy of Jesus also. He's following Bathsheba's other son, Nathan. And so the names from there on are different than the ones that Matthew has. Doesn't matter. Jesus is presented as the long-awaited son of David. 
Matthew and Luke, while they're following two different sons of Bathsheba, make something very clear at the end. That actually, they followed the genealogy from David to Joseph, but Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father. And they both make that super clear. They make it super clear, we're trying to show you something from David to Joseph, but actually, Jesus is the result of God in heaven stepping into our world and coming as God in human flesh through Mary. Mary was a virgin. She had had zero sexual relations. And the angel announced to her and announced to Joseph that God was bringing the Savior by the Holy Spirit and that she would carry him to birth. The point is that God himself is fulfilling this prophecy. God himself is fulfilling all of the expectations about the son of David. There were generations where the nation was hoping that there would be a righteous son. Hoping that someone would not just be like David, but be better than David and actually be righteous continually forever. But they were all flawed. They all fell short. They all failed. But now this time, Matthew is saying, this isn't just another human in the genealogy. This is a time that God has stepped into the genealogy. Not another promising politician. Not another war hero. This time, the Almighty God, who is the true shepherd of his people, has stepped into the human lineage. He stepped out of heaven and he has come once and for all to be the perfect righteous king who lives forever and intercedes for you and me. Or as Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the adoption to sonship, Galatians 4.4. 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Jesus is presented as the one who fulfills the genealogy. He's not presented as it matters that Joseph is by bloodline. Joseph is the end of this train, longing for human fulfillment, and then God steps in and says, enough of that. I am going to be the shepherd. In a similar way, we see other prophecies that are fulfilled. You might think of um, Matthew chapter 17. The disciples asked Jesus, why is it that the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come? And this was another prophetic that they were looking forward to, the day when Elijah would come, followed by the Savior. Jesus replied, Yes, to be sure, Elijah comes, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him, but have done everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. You see this numerous times throughout Scripture, that things are prophesied, things are understood a certain way, 
But when the fulfillment actually comes, it's so much beyond and better than what we imagined. We're looking for a natural fulfillment, and then God steps in supernaturally. And he says, yeah, that stuff about Elijah, that's John the Baptist. He's the voice of one calling in the wilderness. And today, all this stuff about the David, son of David, the 800 plus times that we're looking forward to, sometime it will be fulfilled. This time, it's fulfilled by God himself. Romans chapter 15. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. And then we come to the final book of our Bible, the revelation of Jesus. And Jesus himself, not just Matthew's presentation, but Jesus identifies as the one who's the root of David. John has this vision, and he sees a scroll that can't be opened. Chapter 5 of Revelations. One of the elders said to me, Don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then the book closes with words from Jesus himself. Revelations 22. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to eat from the tree of life, that they might go to the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let all who hear say, Come, and let anyone who's thirsty come. And let anyone who wishes to take from the tree, from the free gift of the water of life, to come. Jesus declares himself to be the son of David. Not biologically through Joseph, but he is the one that the world has been longing for, waiting for. And God has stepped out of heaven and come to provide what man can never provide what no lineage can ever give us. He is, as the Bible calls him, the second Adam, replacing the fallenness of Adam and Eve. Jesus has come as the perfect one, the son of David, the righteous king who we can trust. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. If you're looking for the water of life, Come to Jesus and live forever. God bless you.